Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Hi, welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Thanks for being here. Now, I know if you're a regular listener, that last week was a solo episode from me, so I feel like you've heard enough of me already. Let's get back to the interview episodes, and I'm just going to get right into it. My guest today is Drew Linsalata, and how I found out about Drew is, you know, before I started this podcast, I was researching other anxiety podcasts out there and, you know, putting a curse on everyone who had an anxiety podcast so that mine could be the only one out there. It didn't work, however. Um, just kidding. But Drew's is great, and he does a solo podcast mostly. He will have a guest occasionally. I should know because I'm going to be a guest on his in uh, the upcoming weeks. But his solo podcast is great. It's informative. It's concise. There are different themes every week. And I thought, oh, God, I'm so glad that my podcast is not a solo podcast because his just kicks ass. I can't even compete. So, but I didn't know him or anything about him. And then when I interviewed um, 
Joshua Fletcher, the therapist from the UK, he mentioned uh, off air that he knew Drew. And so that was enough of a validation for me. And so I promptly went about getting Drew on the podcast, which is great because we both live in the same city. We both kind of have the same time available. So it worked out great. But what I wanted to talk to Drew specifically about and what I think the overarching theme of this episode is when anxiety comes back, right? I always liken the notion of anxiety, quote, coming back as the scary thing in a horror movie, right? Everybody has killed the shark, exercised the ghosts, shot the zombies, whatever. And there's that sense of peace, but that foreboding peace at the end of a horror movie. If you know enough to know, well, there's obviously going to be a sequel. And of course, the thing is going to come back. Now, if we could only look at our anxiety that way, sort of, my analogies are terrible, but I'm going to embrace that. I think a lot of people will have a bout of anxiety or panic and it goes away either on its own or they do some things or the circumstance changes and then it quote comes back because maybe the circumstances changed again and there's something else going on. I don't know, a worldwide pandemic, being on the verge of World War III, you know, those kind of things. Or maybe a job situation changed. Maybe there's stress or maybe there's no reason. I think that's what throws people the most is the no reason comeback. And so my biggest message to people is, again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a professor. I'm not a researcher. But just the way that it helps me as someone who has experienced anxiety for decades is that we don't need to think of it as, oh my God, if this chronic thing, it's never going away. You don't have to go into a negative pit about it. But if there's a realistic thing of, oh yeah, it could come back. And you know, if it does, I have the tools to handle it. I didn't do anything wrong. It just came back. I don't know why. I don't even need to know why. I mean, it could be circumstantial. It could be just, I don't know, just kind of holding it like that. But mostly when I hear from people, even before I started this podcast, but when I would talk about anxiety on social media or in my comedy act, people would always say to me, oh, I had anxiety. I did some things. It went away and then it came back. And because it came back, it's almost like they don't do anything about it because they think, well, forget it. This is, this isn't fixable. This is terminal to put it in a weird way. And they see it almost as a failing on their part or an unluckiness, or, oh my God, I must have it so bad that there's no point in getting rid of it because it's going to keep coming back. Maybe there's a little disappointment that seeps in where you think, well, why would I try to get rid of it again? It's just going to come back. And I think everybody's looking at it incorrectly. The way I look at it is sometimes I think of, you know, anxiety is just there. It's sort of like it's kind of just in your system, if that makes sense. And sometimes it's dormant and sometimes it's back. Sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's loud. Or it's not necessarily that anxiety came back, but the notion that you... It's weird because anxiety is something we have control over um, once it hits us, but we don't always have control over it happening. So it's, it's hard to put it this way, but we see anxiety as something we have control over in the sense of 
if we get rid of it, we have now mastered it never coming back. And that's not quite how it works. We can control it in the moment through breathing and uh, various cognitive behavior therapies that we do with our thoughts. Um, and we can control it to a certain degree, right? Everyone is on a different spectrum of anxiety or anxiety disorder. But in general, there are things we can do where we can at least feel a sense of control. We can help to calm it back down um, or even help alleviate it or work through situations that used to scare us, driving on the highway, getting on an airplane, you know, being in a crowded elevator, whatever it is for you. But I think for me, the biggest through line to everything is always the signs of almost this lack of self-esteem or beating ourselves up. You know, I feel like people almost embrace when anxiety comes back. Oh, great. You know, here's another opportunity to beat myself up. Another thing I failed at. You know, we fall into that. So what I love about Drew's story is that his anxiety came back. And and he'll, he'll tell this in his own words, but just to give you the headlines. Drew had his first panic attack right when he was out of college. He had never had any kind of anxiety or panic. It really threw him. He thought he was dying. You know the story. It's probably happened to you. He found a book that really helped him. It was uh, a book by the Australian uh, author Claire Weeks, and the book was called Pass Through Panic. Um, the book has different names depending on what country it's published in, but it really helped him, and he learned some tools. And then his panic attacks and his anxiety dissipated and was gone for about 10 years. And then it came back. And what he realized was, as he says, he didn't work hard enough to get rid of it the first time. And, and you'll hear us talk about it in the interview. He doesn't mean uh, to put himself down or to suggest that you guys aren't working hard enough. He just means he didn't need it enough. He didn't need the recovery enough to do enough of it that it would make more of a long-lasting impact to where he would be okay if, you know, anxiety randomly came back here and there. He really thought it was one and done and over with. And when it came back, something happened to him where he completely forgot, and he can't explain it to this day, he completely forgot about the book he read, the tools he used, and just didn't do the work again. So that's sort of the overarching theme of this conversation is the notion of what to do when anxiety comes back, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and just how there is so much hope. And then I'm really inspired by the way Drew really just doesn't really have anxiety or panic anymore. And and he used to be, you know, completely agoraphobic, not even able to leave his home because it got so bad. So I will stop talking and I will let you listen to this episode, but just a few words about Drew. He's the creator and host of The Anxious Truth, a slightly unorthodox anxiety podcast. It's been going on since 2014. There's over a million downloads and growing. He also sends out a daily, daily, this man has really put in the work, a daily free newsletter every morning called The Anxious Morning. And you can read a little something about the topic of the day, and it's also available as something you can listen to. Having suffered with anxiety, panic disorder, agoraphobia, and depression several times over a 20-year period, Drew got it together once and for all in 2008. Since then, life has been happy, productive, and, quote, normal. 
For the last 15 years, Drew has been active in the online anxiety community, working to use his experience and understanding to help those that are following down the path he has traveled. His no-nonsense approach to these problems and his willingness to provide direct, actionable advice, even when it might not be easy to hear, has established him as a unique voice in the anxiety recovery community. In 2020, Drew published two books on anxiety and anxiety recovery. One is called An Anxiety Story and another one called The Anxious Truth. Um, he is an Amazon best-selling author. So let's jump in to my conversation with Drew when anxiety comes back. In that book, you tell the journey of, oh my God, I just said journey. Kill me. hate when I say that word. I've literally said that myself. Oh my God, I just said vision board. Kill me. <laughs> I've, I've had these conversations with people, so I hear you. <sighs> I'm going to have to go. You know what I'm going to have to do? Because I keep saying this word. I'm going to need to pull up thesaurus.com someday and write down alternate words. But anyway, for now, your journey of panic attacks and your first panic attack was right after college and what I love about your description of it is a lot of people will go to the hospital with what they think is a heart attack and it turns out to be a panic attack. You had a very similar experience to me and so I'm sure a million other people, and I hope a million people are listening, which is, it's not that you thought you were having a heart attack. You thought it was, as you called it, the precursor to death. Oh, yeah. Right? So you had your derealization, depersonalization feelings, which listeners I talked about on a previous episode with Josh Fletcher. And those feelings, I imagine, I haven't died yet, um, are maybe what it feels like to go through the tunnel and you feel like any minute you're going to see the light and you're going to be on the other side or whatever there is, or you're going to be dead. And you just kind of sat there having the panic attack, which you didn't know, which you thought was the precursor to death going, I'm dying. I'm not even going to wake up my mom because why should she watch it? Can you, can you describe it in your own words? I can totally do that. And I'm sure most people could could understand this. And it's funny because in that book, that's the part that gets most feedback. Like, oh, my God, you described my experience perfectly. But we all share such a common experience. I, it was, I was actually still in school. It was my sophomore year at UB. I was home on spring break and, like, in the house I grew up in. And everything was going great. I got, like, a 4.0 grade point average. Like, who slides into panic disorder and has a 4.0? Like, this guy, right? It was stupid. It made no <laughs> sense. But I, everything was going really well. And I remember I was just hanging out, and I was reading a book. I was in bed and listening to music. And uh, all of a sudden, I was, like, that weird. I never, you know, it's funny. In retrospect, we can talk about this if you want. I did experience derealization and depersonalization when I was little. I just didn't know what it was. And that only oh, hit me a couple of years ago that I realized, oh, when everybody felt like they were so far away, that's what that was. But anyway, uh, so I was hit with derealization and everything felt weird, but depersonalization. I felt like it was outside myself. And I mean, you guys can understand if you're listening, you know what that feels like. It was terrifying. I had never experienced that before. And then I immediately became deathly afraid of the, the sensations I was having. And my heart was pounding and I started sweating and I felt I couldn't breathe. And you, you all know what a panic attack feels like. But I didn't know it was a panic attack. And I thought that derealization and that depersonalization feeling, I truly interpreted it as, well, it's been a good run. 19 years, I did okay. <laughs> I guess I'm out. Like, I, I mean, I'm being, I'm joking about it, but I truly, in that moment, that's how I interpreted it. This is what it feels like when you die. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally relate. I was in high school having that feeling in my French class. Okay. And I thought, wow, this is, 
I was kind of death obsessed, you know, um, kind of an anxious, neurotic person. And, you know, the music I was listening to certainly didn't help me not think about death all the time. I listened to the Smiths a lot. Oh, you were yeah. done. And, and I'm like, you know, I was very uh, dramatic and like writing in my diary all the time about, you know, I'd love to sit in the cemetery and think these people had lives and everyone just drives by it. <laughs> and uh, so when I was having my little panic attack, well, it wasn't little in my French class, I remember thinking, oh, this is why I'm so obsessed with death. I knew somewhere that I was going to die young and it's happening right now. And it's interesting, though, that you didn't go wake up your mom. You just thought you might just lay there and I don't know. Well, if I think about that, like the thought process was so strange, like in each moment, I'm like, well, this is it. There's no point because this is it. This is where you. I'm going right now. And then it was, well, I didn't. But this is the moment now. And then this is the moment now. And clearly that moment never came because that was many years ago. But that was my interpretation. It wasn't, oh, my God, I'm having a heart attack or, oh, my God, I'm having a stroke or, oh, my God, I'm having some sort of embolism. It was literally just, I, I guess this is what it feels like when you die. But it was terrifying. I'm. You know, in retrospect, I could talk about it and joke and make make it turn it a little bit humorous. Yeah. It's humorous because of the absurdity of it in the end, which is the, the nature of panic as it is. But I was there. This is it. And I remember in, in the book, I even write the story. It's, I know you went through it, but like I, I you know, got myself. I went and splashed water on my face. I did all the typical, the usual panic attack things that everybody tries to do. I didn't know yeah. why I was doing them, but I did them. Um, laid against the, the cold tile in my bathroom to feel the cold tile. You know, tried that. And then I, I kind of limped into the living room and sat on the, the shitty powder blue Barca lounger. And like, then my mom did come out. She heard me up. She was like, how you doing? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. What? The two crazy, I made some really crazy decisions in my life. That was one of the top three. Why would I say, yo, sure, yeah, I'm good. Do you think that there's something deep down that you did know you were okay? I do. I do. There's something about that. That I mean, I, I won't I don't know. We're never going to truly know that answer, I'm sure. But I had to know because at, at, at each moment that passes that you don't die. And look, this is the crux of, of the lesson of recovery anyway. That takes a long time to learn. But in each moment that like, well, I still didn't die and I still didn't die and I still didn't die. And I did reach a point maybe an hour or so into that as it's rising and falling and rising and falling because, you know, adrenaline will do that, that I realized like, oh, well, maybe I'm not dying. Maybe I don't know what this is, and this is terrifying still, but maybe I'm actually not dying right now. I remember having that realization. Uh, and it wasn't too long after she came out and asked, you know, you okay? And then she went back to bed, like, worst night of my life when you just went back to bed. Thanks, mom. Like, you know, it was, oh, she didn't know. I didn't say anything. <laughs> she didn't know. But that's, I don't know. Maybe some part of me did understand. But I was coming to the realization, well, I'm still not dead. I'm still not dead. I'm still not dead. So I knew I was wrong. I could tell that I was, I was wrong. Still didn't yeah. know what it was, though. And so I, I want to drill down into this just because I've gotten emails from people that are like, you know, you always say on your show and these experts say panic attacks last 10 minutes, but mine last an hour. And I know what they're saying because I've certainly had all day panic attacks. It wasn't just anxiety. Um, but literally, like you cannot from start to finish panic for one hour straight. Like, like you said, it's it's up and down. It comes and goes, right? So for anyone listening that, you know, wants to say, ah, oh, I, I have them for an hour though. So mine are bad. It, it's like, well, just, you know, look at that. Cause it's not, it's probably not literally no relief for an hour. Cause that, that's just not possible. It's right? not physiologically possible. It doesn't work that way. And one of the insidious things about panic and anxiety and the irrational fear that comes with it. And by the way, the fear is always real. That's not, not fake 
fear. Don't let anybody yeah. tell you that it's in your head. The fear is 100% real. There's no doubt about that. But it's irrational because there's no underlying danger beneath it. We just think there is. The, the, one of the insidious things about that situation is it will insist that this is the worst panic attack I've ever had. How many people have you talked to? Many. And you may have been one of them. And for a while, I was one of them. Every panic attack was the worst one ever. This was the worst yeah. one. This is the worst one. But in reality, if you get hooked, if you had a bunch of doctors around you and they hooked you up to all kinds of monitoring devices, the physiology would look the same in every single one. It, yeah. The interpretation changes. But yes, it's an undulating wave. There's that spike and it comes down. And spike. You just never come down to zero. So therefore, you will say, my panic lasts for three days straight. Oh, because you, <laughs> right. you think it ends when you have zero anxiety. That's not, that's not how it works. We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
So when you're sitting there going, well, I guess I'm dying, in the most fucked up way, that is a form of acceptance, but it's not real acceptance, right? So you talk later about, you read this book by Claire Weeks. Is it called Pass Through Panic? That's one version of it. It actually has multiple titles depending on where in the world you live. I had I had it as Hope and Help for Your Nerves. Oh, okay. It shows, so she's an Australian author. Yeah, she was a physician that physician. worked in the 1950s, and she be, be, was a kind of a pioneer in describing these problems to lay people. So you, you go through her books and you you learn some some techniques and one of them is acceptance. And so take us through what true acceptance looks like because when I've used this word with people before, you know, it, it seems like you're saying, well, accept it. You know, it's never going to change and uh, I don't want to accept it, right? I mean, I do use the word acceptance and she also wrote a lot about floating. You have to float through panic and float and accept and float and accept. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't like those words. I think if Dr. Weeks had the benefit of the internet, in her day, she would stop using those words because they tr- they create tremendous amounts of confusion. Acceptance yeah. does not mean liking it, nor does it mean yeah. wanting it. I use the word surrender. And what I actually learned to do after reading Dr. Weeks is, and technically, I surrendered. And I surrendered. You did surrender. That's I sur- right. Yeah. I surrendered. And that's the word that I like to use. But in the end, the, the it's a practice of literally giving up the fight, not giving up your quest to recover. It doesn't mean giving up. But in the moment, it means I'm not, I'm clearly not successful in fighting this thing when it happens, trying to stop it, manage it, knock it down, manage the symptoms. So I'm just going to let it come and get me because it keeps failing to take me down as much as it threatens to. It never does. So I'm just going to let it, let it happen. And the first time I ever did that, and that was after reading uh, Hope and Help for Your Nerves, was sitting in the driveway and in the passenger seat of the car. I wrote that, wrote that in the book. And I felt it coming. You know what it feels like when that panic is rising and you know it's going to happen. Like, okay, this is happening now. And I remember thinking, I asked my, my mother was in the car with me and I asked her to get out of the car. I'm like, hey, go in the house. I just got to sit here. She was like, really? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, here we go. And I literally just slunk back into the chair and I, and I had to make a moment. And there was a lot of bravery in that moment. I don't take it. That, that hat's important. That's part of it. That said, okay, cut. You have to come and get me now. You have to come and kill me now. And I, I just, yeah, that's a hard statement to make. But in the end, it never does. It never does. It never kills you. It never makes you crazy. It doesn't make you pass out. It does, unless you have the exaggerated vasovagal response, which we could talk about that. But most people don't have that. You'd know if you do. But it doesn't do all those horrible things. So I just, I just let my body slump back into the seat of this 1984 Ford Escort. It was a real sweet ride. <laughs> and I let it come and get me. And I was astounded. It, it was terrifying. 100% terrifying. Because that is not what we are designed to do. We are designed to hang on like hot death to not let bad things happen to us. And I had to do exactly the opposite because Dr. Weeks said so in the book. And when I felt it peak, you know that moment when you start to feel better and you're a superhero, like you know it's going away? The adrenaline kicks in and you're like, I can do anything. You're like the god of thunder at that moment? (laughs) That came so fast. And when I say so fast, I would say ten eight to 10 minutes, maybe. Maybe. And I remember because I remember yeah. looking at the, the, the clock on the dashboard and like now 10 minutes of panic is a is a lot. Yeah. But you know how it is. You would go through hours of it up and down and up and down and up and down. And this was like, holy shit, like it worked. I got out of that car and I was like moonwalking down the driveway. I was so I was shaking. I was sweating. I was still not good, but I was so freaking happy. 
That was an amazing experience. I'll never forget it. And I think, yeah, I think it's just dawning on me that that 10 minutes of panic that you let completely take you over, then that makes it completely go away. So you have that adrenaline superhero feeling and then it's really over like the end of a horror movie when everything's just quiet, you know, and I don't mean one with a sequel where the monster comes back, but the real end. (laughs) And, but if you try to stop it, sometimes you'll get down to an okay enough level so that it's the end of a horror movie, but there's going to be a sequel, the monster comes back. And so that is really important that not only does sitting there bravely, just letting it take over you, surrendering to it, not only will that help for future panic attacks, but in that moment, it's really going to pretty much kill that one. So you're not having this two hour up and down thing. Except I always say it's to me, the intent is the magic in the recovery process. Because if you look at this as this is the way you stop a panic attack, you're kind of fucked. And I think it's safe to say that because I I don't, we don't do not appear to be a family friendly podcast. We do not. Okay, yes. cool. Um, <laughs> and I think honestly, I, I believe that in my heart because there will be times when you're not so good at that. So as much as I yeah. practiced it over many, many years, there were times in the process when I, when I failed at that and I, and I got carried away and I started fighting it again and then it wouldn't go away. So the intent that matters so much is I must surrender to this to learn a lesson that will serve me the next time. It is super critical. And so many people do not want to hear that. They just want to know, what do I do? What part of my body do I tap? What do I sniff? What do I rub on my wrists? Yeah. I'm not that guy. No, no, Drew does not have any essential oils to sell (laughs) us. Um, But I do think, I love the way you're framing it, which is it's a lesson. It's, you know, I think these can be really motivating things for certain types who want to look at it that way. You know, this is your... I don't know, this is your, I'm trying not to say the word journey, but this is what you have to go through to come out the other side. And if you want to look at it as I'm going through my vision quest here, but I think the thing is, you know, once, so if the panic ever comes back in your life, you know, if you slay it for a while and it comes back, I do think the natural response is to go back to fighting it because it just is, uh, you know, it's our normal instinct and it's very hard to learn I know it sounds crazy, but in this moment, you got to go against your normal instinct to stay alive, but it will, it will help you feel like you're going to stay alive. Your panic is no different than anyone else. No one's ever died of a panic attack. And you know, my thing used to be, well, I'll be the first one. Someone had to be the first one to die of anything, right? Why not me? I get that. I I understand that. Yeah. And so, okay. So now you're, you're in your book, you just like 10 years goes by and you're fine. You know, you're like, I did it. And then it comes back again and you, and you forget that you even had this clear weeks book, you forget all the stuff you did. And now it comes back and it gets worse. Now you're at the point where you're hitting uh, monophobia and agoraphobia. Can you tell us what those things are? I actually had not even been that familiar with monophobia and then realized, oh, well, I've actually experienced it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so you're right. 10 years later. Now I had that episode and yeah, I mean, it was in a few months, I had pretty much what I felt was like, oh, I'm good. I'm good to go. And I went along with my life and didn't think about it much anymore. And then it came back and um, I still own the book. I still had the book. I, I cannot explain why I did not return to that thing. I know why. In retrospect, I know why. Because I didn't have to work hard enough. I didn't learn anything. I just did stuff and it went away. And okay, that was great for 10 years, but I didn't actually learn. 
So when it came back, I didn't have a skill set. I didn't have enough knowledge. I wasn't, I didn't really understand what I did. I just did stuff. So anyway, I failed to do it. And yes, it did progress because I would fight it and I would avoid. So when I would panic on the highway, I would stop riding on, stop driving on the highway. And when I would panic in the supermarket, I stopped going to the supermarket. And when I panicked in my office, I didn't want to go to my, I own a company and I couldn't go to the office. That's pretty embarrassing. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's better though than having to explain it to the boss in a weird way. As crazy as it sounds, look, I mean, if you're going to wind up agoraphobic, be the boss because, yes, we can joke about that, but that's true. Um, but, yeah, I disappeared from my own business, um, and I was stuck in my house, and I was terrified to be alone. Uh, and that's monophobia. Now, monophobia is a word that a lot of us throw around. I have to be honest with you. I do not know if you would find monophobia in the DSM. Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. But it's a, it's a very, very common part of the anxiety and agoraphobia complex. Monophobia mm. is where you are terrified to be alone. And this has nothing to do with having anxious attachment or anything like that. Yeah. This isn't like a, uh, your mother abandoned you. This is literally just like you might not even want to hang out with people emotionally. You're just so afraid that if, if someone's not there monitoring you, you will die. This is, I am still deathly afraid of my own body and my mother's sensations. And I'm afraid of my thoughts. And somebody must be here to save me. And save me might be literally get me to a hospital or perform CPR on me or might be, yeah. well, they have to calm me down. And if yeah. there's nobody around to save you, then you're just left with you and the monster, air quotes. And that's how mm -hmm. monophobia develops. I, will, I posted not too long on social media. This is a true story. And it's funny now. But at the time, it wasn't funny. I had a, a Rhodesian Ridgeback dog at the time. She was great. Lexi was an awesome dog. And I remember literally spending a tremendous amount of mental energy trying to convince myself that if need be, the dog could somehow dial the phone. Not, that is a true story. Listen, I've seen YouTube videos where they do that. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, like <laughs> that irrational fear becomes so self-serving and so all-consuming and so powerful in the way it twists things in your head that I would put the cordless, it was a big old cordless phone in the late 90s. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. And I would put it on the floor next to the dog. And Lexi would lay next to me all the time because she, she would stick with me when I was feeling, wasn't feeling good. She was great. Aww. And somehow I, in my mind, I found some solace in the idea that, well, maybe she could actually like hit a button if I, if I, if I'm able to at least hit the button. And, you know, I literally went through that. I was terrified to be alone. That, but I mean, it's in, in a weird way you were soothing yourself, right? It gave you some comfort, even though it was made up. I was trying because I knew that there's no chance she was an awesome dog, but she doesn't know how to dial phone, dude. Like, like I knew this in my heart, but yet somehow I was, I was grasping at anything that might make me feel better. But I did. I became agoraphobic, and that happened to me kind of twice in my life after that. And uh, agoraphobia, I did a podcast episode on, on agoraphobia. This is pretty simple. And the million-dollar question is, why does somebody have a panic attack or multiple panic attacks in their life and never develop panic disorder or agoraphobia? Because the progression to agoraphobia which is not, by the way, a fear of leaving your house. It's a fear of how you will feel in certain contexts and, and situations. Panic yeah. attack. It's more like that fear, fear, fear it's of a having fear a of panic fear. attack it's outside It's a fear of home. your panic symptoms and the thoughts. And wherever they happen, then I can't go there. Okay, so panic attack leads to panic attacks, which leads to panic disorder, which leads to avoid, 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 avoid. Got to avoid my triggers. Got to know my triggers and avoid them. We hear all the time, bad advice Avoid, 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 avoid means you run out of places to be, air quotes, safe. And mm -hmm. most of the time you wind up that your home. For some people, one piece of furniture in their home is the only safe place. That's Ooh, terrible that's and tough. heartbreaking. But yeah. I, I work with people all the time that are literally stuck on their sofa. Yeah. Or in the bed. That's agoraphobia. Yeah, because what happens when you, if you're agoraphobic, um, is there something in your brain that, I don't know, like somehow 
prevents you from panicking at home? Like, is there a built-in protection or can people start to develop, oh my God, now I'm, it's coming from inside the house. Now I'm panicking in my safe place. That's always terrible because most of the time, the common thing is somebody who is, I'm safe at home. A modified agoraphobia is I'm okay as long as I can leave the house as long as I have my partner with me or my mom or my sister or my best friend. Those are my safe people. Okay. I can go out with them and it's okay. But it just, it's really just the ultimate expression of avoidance as an anxiety strategy run amok. It's avoidance left unchecked. So every place that you experience panic, you leave that place the panic goes away, which was going to anyway, no matter what happens, it was always going to go away. And then you associate, well, I have, I can't go there because it will trigger that if I go again. And for some people that even becomes, I can't go to the kitchen. I can't go into the bathroom. I can't go into the living room. I can't stand by the front door. It, it's terrible. It, it's literally like this learning mechanism run amok, gone off the rails. And do most people come out of this? I mean, is it? Yeah, I did. A lot of people do. Yeah. It's not a hopeless situation. The, the thing that sucks about that is, how did I get out of it? Well, I started doing the things that, that you know, we don't, I mean, I'm going to let you lead the way here, but we talk about what you no, want to talk about. But in a way, that was it. I, I had to understand that, like, well, clearly, intellectually, when you ask, does my brain somehow think that I'm safer in my house? You know that logically. Like, I'm the same person in my living room that I am in, in Midtown or I am in North Jersey or I am in California or in China. You know this yeah. already, but yet that that fear center in your brain, your amygdala has decided, no, 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 none of those places are safe. Only this is safe. So the only way to go through it is to say, well, I'm intentionally going to go and start doing those things that I think will make me panic. And if I do panic, I'm going to have to use that surrender method and keep learning again and again and again that it keeps failing to live up to its threat. It keeps failing to take me down. It keeps failing to kill me. It keeps failing to make me crazy. And, and so, yeah. yeah, it's that. It's those learning those lessons. So you take the same exact mechanism that teaches you to be afraid of your own body and you throw it in reverse and use it to learn not to be afraid of your body anymore. Not to stop the anxiety. Not be afraid it, of it. That's the first goal. Here's another one of my metaphors. It reminds me of an internet troll. I don't know if you've seen circumstances where somebody is being bullied by an internet troll, some anonymous something. And they're going back and forth and everyone's anxiety is out of control and it's until someone says, you know what, I'm going to call you. Let me call you. Um, let's talk about this. I, I've seen a few things on the internet where people have done this. And the person, once you call them, is like completely backing down. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, and uh, yeah. it's, it's sort of like panic. It's like, if I fight my panic, I'm fighting with internet trolls. Everyone's getting more anxious. Yeah. And if I just say, you know what, what's your number? I'm going to call you and, and uh, say it to my face, you know, like, what is your deal? <laughs> and the bad news is like you're fighting the troll on their terms. So when you keep trying yes. to find strategies, I need to find strategies. I need to find my triggers to avoid them and what short circuits it. And, and again, I'm, I'm not picking on things. It's I just I'm going to tell you my my perspective. I know I'm not for everybody. But when you try to fight it that way or manage it or stop it or halt it. You're fighting it on its terms and it wins every time. If you're if you're listening to Jen right now and you've been trying to manage anxiety and panic attacks for years and kind of failing, well, you have to sometimes consider that maybe I should stop fighting it. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Yeah. And I love how you say on there, it's on its terms. And, and you'll lose that every time that you just we just don't have the ability to fight that war. I, I have experienced that. And just funny 10 second story. On Instagram, you know, I do a lot of work with, with Josh and those folks on Instagram, and we do have a troll that the entire anxiety community has one person that's angry at us. And I have in the <laughs> middle of an Instagram live said, hey, have, come on, come on camera. Come on with me. 
come on. And then they're then they're gone. Yeah, they're they're probably angry with you guys because you're shining a light on stuff they need to do. <laughs> Who knows why? But yes, you do have to say like, all right, come on, let's talk about this. Come on in and show me what you got. And so yeah. as it turns out, it's got a lot. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying yeah. that it isn't. Anxiety is a powerful thing. And that physiological response is a powerful thing. And it is very scary. But in the end, the threat that you have perceived it as is not real. It's not going to take you down. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So let's go back to the what happens in those 10 years that you weren't panicking anymore. So I have a lot of people say to me, 
oh, I think I'm going to check out your podcast because, you know, I, I had anxiety and then I got rid of it and then it came back and and I just don't know what to do anymore. So so the story they're telling is they had anxiety. They did every single thing you could do. They did it perfectly. And they are so, you know, they are so bad at this and they are so unlucky and they're so unwell that it came back and, oh, my God. And I always know, um, not in a blaming them way, but you know, you probably didn't try everything and you probably didn't try enough things that work for you. And you probably, it probably just kind of went away on its own and you thought you were safe and you see it as a personal failure that it came back. I don't really know how to look at it in those terms of of where it goes when we don't have it for 10 years. But you say, looking back on it, um, the reason that when your panic and anxiety came back and you didn't think to use your old techniques, that it was because the old techniques when you were using them the first time that you got rid of everything, that you hadn't worked hard enough. It was only a few months. And so in other words, are you saying like, almost if if we're talking about an alcoholic, like you hadn't hit a bottom yet in a way, you hadn't, you hadn't really had to work so, so hard at it that became habit. What, what did you mean by didn't work hard enough? Yes, I think that's probably it. You know, and then and thank you for pointing that because didn't work hard enough is probably a very wrong, I should not have made that statement. Because that hints at like, you got to grind, man. And this is about, you know, this is not a hardcore character thing at all. Yeah, it didn't work. uh, You didn't go through it enough. Right. It did not force my hand for whatever reason. At that point, I read the book. I learned she was speaking right to me. Dr. Weeks was speaking right to me when I read the book. Like, I have that. I have that. I have that. Like, she was describing everything I was feeling. And so just knowing what it was was enough at that point. Oh, I have to do this. Okay, I could do this really scary thing. I did that scary thing. And. And then I stopped being afraid and it sort of went away, but I didn't, it didn't sink in enough. Like, I don't know. I wish I could find words for this. You find a book you really love, you read it. And then you go back 10 years later and you read it again. It's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff in this book that I missed the first time or a movie that you love so much that like, I don't know, every time I watch the big Lebowski, there's something funnier in it. Like you don't, you have to keep going back to it. And I didn't have to, for whatever reason. And that, that turned out to be a bit problematic in a way. And I, I can't explain all of it, Jen. I wish I could. I wish I could explain my decision to not pick up that book again and not work that process. I don't know why. Well, the fact that you can't explain it is, I think, the most interesting part and the most relatable part, which is, I don't know, sometimes we just don't know. We're human. We don't know why we're doing things. Don't know. Bad, <laughs> but was it a bad decision? It's a sure good... it was. I, but I made it. And I don't know why I made it. All right, whatever. It turned out this way. But it's a good insight for anyone who's saying, oh, my anxiety came back and I don't know why. It's like, is there something you're forgetting to do? Is there something that helped last time? Is, you know, just take a look at that. Don't assume that because you did it already that it works for life. It's not like putting a protective stain resistant thing on your couch. You know, um, even sunscreen, you have to reapply every hour. You know, you have to keep doing it. I I like the sunscreen now. Just really good. I'm going to steal that. Totally steal that. Uh, Please steal it. I will attribute Um, it to you for sure. Jen Kirkman says put on sunscreen. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so it's really good, but that's correct. People also assume that like, well, people ask me all the time, well, well, can you, do you still have panic attacks? I'm like, I don't know. I might have one or two a year, maybe. I'm like, yeah. oh, well then what's the point then? Oh, you're not really recovered. Then are you like, they think they're catching me or they're calling me out. Hi, you fraud. See, you had a panic attack. Like, but nobody ever said that you were guaranteed to never panic or never be anxious ever again. That would not be realistic. Human beings experience anxiety and many, many, many human beings that don't develop disordered anxiety experience panic attacks now and then in their life. Many, they just, that just, they don't become controlling of their lives, but they experience something. It's just a part of life. So. Well, also, I mean, to me as a fellow and former daily, 10 times a day, panic disorder sufferer for 
years. I'm talking undiagnosed for 10 years at first and then very slowly recovered over 10, 15 more years. One or two a year to me is like saying zero. Right. That's exactly right. I always, I use a a silly analogy. I'm the king of stupid analogies. So I use the analogy of chicken salad. And I tell people like, imagine like, are you worried that a chicken salad sandwich might appear on your kitchen counter? And then the answer is like, no, of course I'm not worried about that. And they they laugh and we laugh and I try and make a joke out of it. And like, well, you're not worried that a chicken salad sandwich will appear because you're not afraid of chicken salad. So I, I never worry. I might have a panic attack today or I might not. But truly, recovery is that it starts, it goes, it ends. I, I documented one on Instagram about six months ago, like the aftermath of it. And then it's over. And after you get done with the shakiness that lasts another half hour, because that's just physiology, then the event is over. You know, it's interesting. I just realized I love that, that you're saying the recovery is not fearing that one's going to show up out of the blue. Um not caring if one shows up better. And not caring. And you know, I, as long as I've been doing my recovery work, and it's literally been over 30 years, I am still not actively afraid sitting here, you know, biting my nails. But if someone said to me, how would you feel um, if you had a couple panic attacks this year? I'd go, oh, I, I would say I'm, I'm not only do I just not want to have them, but I think I do sometimes live in fear I'm going to have one. The thoughts pass through my head of uh, things that are upcoming this year or something. Oh, I hope I don't have a panic attack during that. Now, it comes, it goes, I don't think about it. But I, I do think I need to, when I think those thoughts, like really work on my um, just being like, I don't care. You know, I'm not quite there all the time. So it's just cool to hear that. Yeah, I think we can't just decide not to care. People hear me say that and they're like, how could you not care about something so terrible? I'm like, well, okay, I I can acknowledge that it's terrible. I don't want to have a panic attack now at all. I don't like it. I don't welcome it. But the difference is you don't just decide to not care. You learn how to not care. Or I learned how to not anticipate it is probably more likely a a better description. I don't anticipate it or worry about it. But there are times like I I do think let the thoughts stay around and I will start anticipating something like I've gone through it recently with, you know, driving alone on the freeway and all that. And, and I did panic, but it was because I absolutely let that anticipatory thought stay around. And I actually engaged it in conversation like an idiot. Yeah, never. I, and I tell people all the time, one of the things I teach a lot is like, no inner dialogue, do not get in that conversation. Listen, we've all been in that, in that, you've been in that situation where the drunk dude is trying to get your number. You could turn your back. You <laughs> yeah. could turn your back on them. You know, you can. Yeah. Um, you could turn your back on that person. You'll still hear them jawing at you and being obnoxiously drunk, but you don't have to respond. And that that's key. And when you learn to do that, the, the what if I panic again turns into, well, even if I panic again. Okay. Even if. What if becomes even if. Oh, I love that. Well, even if I panic, I'm okay because the lesson of recovery over time is, I'm okay across all contexts. Whether I panic, that's a, well, I don't want to get too technical, but in the end, what we really want to learn is not how to stop a panic attack, but to understand that when you're anxious or sad or happy or upset or panicky or whatever, you're always okay. We're designed to feel all of those things. It's okay. You're okay in all the contexts. I love what if to even if. Genius. So simple. I didn't invent that. Somebody smarter than me did. I don't know who. It just was passed along to me. I don't, can't, I never take credit for stuff I didn't. Oh, well, I love it. Thank you for hearing whoever said it. So lastly, the notion, you you just kind of mentioned the word, you know, spirituality in your book. And I, I'd love to talk about it because, you know, you're not a uh, guru sitting on a mountain in a robe. And 
you're just a guy. Like, I'm just a, some chick, and we're sitting here on the East Coast talking. And what did you mean by that, like, there's a spirituality that that's kind of helped you with this, too? Or maybe you didn't say it like that, and I'm projecting. Okay, well, I think, all right, maybe. You might be rejecting. You saw the word spirituality. Okay, so here's the deal. Like, <laughs> um, I see... And again, I understand that my message is not for everybody. I'm okay with that. Um, I see no spiritual basis in this. So one of the things I find fascinating, and maybe I'd like to have you on my podcast one day too. I'd love to you to come on. We'll talk about this. How we could have come from two completely different, I mean, we could not have been any different. You're literally driving past the cemetery lamenting the loss of these stories and people are just driving past these lives and, and you're thinking about deaths and God forbid, you're listening to the Smiths. Come on, get a hold of yourself, woman. But I was, I was completely the opposite in high school. I was that bulletproof titanium, like nothing, never nervous about anything. And we both wound up in the same place. So yeah. that idea that there's a spiritual or healing aspect to panic, to disordered anxiety. I'm not talking about regular, everybody gets anxious. I'm talking about panic attacks, agoraphobia, OCD, those life-controlling disorders. I do not see a spiritual component to those. This isn't about finding something spiritual to heal at all. Correct. It's not yeah. telling me anything. It's, it's telling me bullshit, and I have to call it out is what it's telling me. But that being said, this, what I have found is a level of I am 100% attracted to the studies of Buddhism and Taoism and Stoicism. I would not tell you I'm a terribly religious person. Um, I do think there's something else. I don't know what, but so maybe I'm agnostic. But the practice of recovery and learning recovery has brought me to a little bit more of a, I don't want to call it a spiritual place. I found no spirituality in the process of recovery because I didn't feel that I healed. I learned. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But yet I feel like I've come to a place where I just handle life so much better. And there is a certain spirituality with that. When I understand, like, well, everything is supposed to happen. And that's true. I believe that in my soul, like everything that's supposed to happen will happen, including an occasional panic attack or pangs mm -hmm. of anxiety or, or irrational, crazy thoughts about like, what if I just decide to drive off this bridge? All of that is supposed to happen. And I'm okay with all of that because none of it is, none of it is consequential or dangerous. Well, okay. Then, yeah, then, then that, that's where I think the word surrender is kind of a, uh, has a, a nice mystical, mysterious quality, right? It right? all does. Yeah. We can't get away yeah. from that. Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Now, this is the stuff that used to make me panic. Oh my, like, like to take it further than I'm sitting and listening to the Smiths in high school, you're this like bulletproof guy. We ended up in the same place. What, what is so mystical about that is like, and then going further, who even knows how the world began? We're all these humans on this like spinning globe. Now that, oh, that thought. Yeah, it's terrifying, what? right? You want me to have a panic attack. And what you, you also mentioned the word existential in your book that like someone had said to you, oh, of course you're having a panic attack. You just graduated college. You know, people your age tend to have an existential crisis. And uh, especially since you felt a little pre-panic derealization feelings as a kid, like I'm not going to buy into that it was an existential crisis. I think it was just, you know, random. But I do think I was always very, like I'm the type of person who actually did want to fly on an airplane. I begged my parents um, can we fly on airplanes? Because back then it used to be glamorous in the early 80s, you know. And uh, can we go on a trip on an airplane? And then I developed this panic disorder on airplanes, you know. And then I I always loved um, space. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s with the space shuttles. And I loved space. And I loved stars and looking in the sky. And then I developed a fear of looking up. I couldn't look at the sky because I was so afraid of the the expansive universe. I didn't want to hear about it, even though I really did. And so since I've recovered from that kind of stuff, my little existential self that used to sit in the cemetery is now with the less drama is so interested in space and science and stars and, and even the mystical stuff that isn't science, but you know, the more spiritual stuff of like, why are we here? I just find that fun to play with and think about. And now it's something that gives me great comfort to feel that I'm part of this big, unexplainable thing. Whereas before being part of a big, unexplainable thing was like, don't, I would have, if, if, if I was old me, I would have had to turn this podcast off right now and I'd be under the table panicking. 
completely get you, Jen. I totally understand that because while I didn't come from where you came from with that, mm. I developed that. In the height of the disorder, my kids were young at the time. I would not let them use the word dead or death. I couldn't hear it. Could not hear it. I had a crippling fear of death and existence and annihilation. And why are we here? And oh my God, how is there even anything? Like, yeah. I understand all of that. And as crazy as it sounds, I even wrote that in my, my The Anxious Truth, the book, the other book that I wrote. I wrote that when you get past, then that irrational fear doesn't have a grip on you anymore. Those thoughts stop become torture devices. They stop being that and they become toys. So now I love conversations about existence and spirituality and, and the nature of everything. And it's fun. It was yeah. torturous. So I completely understand you. I think that's what I meant when I was like stumbling through, like there's something spiritual happening is like, yep. you get to um, enjoy all the fruits of being human, which is going, what the hell even is this? You know? Um, and, and I think avoiding thinking about that can even cause some anxiety. I know it did for me, but lastly, I said that twice, but truly lastly, annihilation, that was something, and this is like a, a crazy cliffhanger to end on because it's such a big topic. But I do remember at one point in my recovery journey is a therapist said to me, you know, ultimately like this panicking and that like the feeling that you're going to, I had this very specific fear that I was going to lose, gravity would stop working on me and I would fly away. Oh my God. You're the second person. You're coming on my really? podcast. You're now my best okay. friend. Second person I've ever found to say <laughs> that. Did you, do you have that? Or is that someone else you know? No, I know one other person that was afraid that gravity would stop working. Jen, you made my day. Yeah, but not. But the narcissism of it was only on me. <laughs> not every. If everyone else was flying around, great. You know. Shit. <laughs> and my therapist said, "Well, that's just a fear of annihilation." And I was like, "What?" And it's like so much bigger than a fear of death. It's a whole other thing. But um, so I do think there is this like very fun philosophical existential fear that um that we have when we're panicking and having anxiety which is so much like oh like death is a is a is a wall and if you knock that wall down what's behind it is the fear of annihilation and it just keeps going and going it's like wow this stuff is trippy it's i cannot so fun. tell you how you have made my day with the gravity story jen well i am so glad that this irrational fear that i've had since i was a child that i could not articulate for fear that someone would lock me up and throw away the key, that now I am just comfortably sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn telling you, and it's made your day. Like, what? What a journey, Drew. I, I should probably <laughs> modify that. I'm not happy that you had that fear, but I told that story to people and they're like, you're just making that up to make me feel better. And I'm like, oh no, guess what? Now we have a living, breathing person with a name that people know that was afraid of gravity. Yep, I corroborate. And that, my friends, was my chat with Drew Lynn Salata. And as always, you can go to jenkirkman.com and click on Anxiety Bites. And you can read all of these takeaways that I'm about to say and uh, have them for yourselves. I don't know, copy and paste, put it somewhere. And if you want to send an email to this show, if you have any tips and tricks that you want to share with the other listeners or you want to ask my advice on anything anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. Please do send it in. I will be doing listener email episodes about once every four episodes. Okay, so here are some takeaways, things that we've learned from this episode. 
sometimes a panic attack doesn't just literally feel like a heart attack, but the sensations can be so odd that some people think it's just their last moments alive. What they're feeling is almost like what you think being moments away from death feels like. With panic and anxiety, there is always an irrational fear that comes with it. But the fear that you feel is always real. It's not in your head. The only thing that's irrational about the fear that you are feeling during panic and anxiety is that even though the fear is real, you are feeling it, you are experiencing it, there's no underlying danger beneath it. We just believe that there is. One of the insidious things about a panic attack is we will always insist, this is the worst panic attack I've ever had, as though they are somehow getting worse. It only feels that way. During a panic attack, there is an undulating wave. There's a spike, and then the panic comes down, and then maybe another spike, but you never totally come down to zero. So that's why a lot of people will say, my panic attack lasted for hours or three days straight, because a lot of times we think a panic attack ends when we are feeling zero anxiety. That's really not how it works. When we talk about acceptance with having a panic attack, it does not mean that we like this panic attack or that we want it. Another way to look at it is the use of the word surrender. You surrender to the panic attack happening to you, which is actually a coping mechanism that is going to make it go away. The practice of sitting through a panic attack in acceptance is a practice of literally giving up the fight of panicking, but not giving up your quest to recover from having panic attacks. It certainly does not mean giving up. In the moment, it just means I'm clearly not successful in fighting this thing when it happens, trying to stop it, manage it, knock it down, manage the symptoms. So I'm just going to let the symptoms come and get me because, you know, these symptoms keep failing to take me down. As much as they threaten, they never do. So I'm just going to let it happen. When you are terrified to be alone, that's known as monophobia. It's a very, very common part of anxiety in the agoraphobia complex. So monophobia is when you are terrified to be alone, but it doesn't have to do with, you know, emotionally not wanting to be alone or having anxious attachment. It's literally, I am definitely afraid of my own body and my other sensations, and I'm afraid of my thoughts, and I'm going to need somebody here just kind of on standby to save me. And that might literally mean that you're imagining that they could take you to a hospital or perform CPR right then and that they would be the only thing that could help calm you down. And that if there's nobody around to save you, then you are just left with you and your monster, which is how monophobia develops. Agoraphobia isn't quite a fear of leaving your house. It's more of a fear of how you will feel in certain contexts and situations where you feel that you are away from your safe zone. Panic attacks can lead to panic disorder, which can lead to avoid, 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 avoid triggers, avoid places that trigger you. And then when you run out of safe places, most of the time you will wind up at your home, which is agoraphobia. There is modified forms of agoraphobia, like you can leave the house, but as long as you have your partner with me or your mom or your sister or your best friend, you have safe people that make it okay to go out. Another way to think of panic and how it's common for you is to remember it keeps failing to take you down. It keeps failing to kill you and it keeps failing to make you crazy. Even though every time during a panic attack, you are convinced you are going to die or go crazy. It has never happened. Panic is not good at killing you. Panic is not good at making you go crazy. 
Panic is all talk. In order to recover from panic attacks, you have to take the same exact mechanism that teaches you to be afraid of your own body and you throw it in reverse and you use it to learn not to be afraid of your body anymore. It's not to stop the anxiety, it's to not be afraid of it. That's the first goal. In panic attack and anxiety recovery, nobody ever said that you're guaranteed to never panic or never be anxious again. That just wouldn't be realistic. Human beings experience anxiety. And many human beings, even ones that don't develop disordered anxiety, will still experience panic attacks now and then. It's just that they don't let them control their lives. As Drew says, are you worried that a chicken salad might suddenly appear on your kitchen counter? And the answer is, no, of course I'm not worried about that. Okay, well, are you not worried that a chicken salad sandwich will appear because you're not afraid of chicken salad? Yes, that's why I'm not afraid. Okay, great. So don't worry about having a panic attack because if you are not afraid of one, you will not worry about it suddenly appearing out of nowhere. As Drew says in his recovery, he just doesn't care about something so terrible as a panic attack anymore. He acknowledges, yes, it's terrible. He doesn't want to have a panic attack. He doesn't like it. He doesn't welcome it. But the difference is he just decides not to care. He's learned not to care, which is helpful in furthering that, which is learning how not to anticipate one. He doesn't worry about, oh my God, what if one happens? And he tells people all of the time, if you are starting to have an inner dialogue about what if I panic, what if this, do not get into the conversation. Think of it as a drunk dude trying to get your number. You can turn your back on him and you know you still hear them talking at you, being obnoxiously drunk, but you don't have to engage and respond in it and that's key. This was my favorite takeaway. We go from worrying, what if I panic again, to even if I panic again, I will be okay. That's what I actually wanted to call this episode is from what if to even if, but I thought people might not know what that means. And I, I think we can catch a lot more fish with the when anxiety comes back. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, again, like I've said, jenkirkman.com, click Anxiety Bites. You can read the takeaways. Please do send me an email, anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. We have a lot more great guests coming up for you this season. The season is about half over. It's um, We have 46 episodes this season. And just a reminder, I am working a full-time job during the weekdays while bringing this podcast to you. So I'm not always available um, to certain guests that, you know, there's certain topics that I'm dying to get to, like more LGBTQ topics, um, anxiety and ADHD, anxiety and menopause, anxiety with how do we help children and teens with anxiety, elderly people with anxiety. It's all, it's all eventually going to get there, but um, my schedule is a bit of an issue right now. So it's, it's sometimes hard to line people up unless we have the same exact schedule. So I'm hearing all of you and all of your requests for things. Um, certainly want to cover it all. And hey, you know what? If you tell a friend, if you give this a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, maybe iHeart will give me a second season, which will give me way more time to cover every single aspect of anxiety and more. So thanks again for listening. And yes, anxiety bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.